Welcome to AEM Early Access, a collaboration between Brown University Emergency Medicine and the editors of the Academic Emergency Medicine Journal. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and here's what we've got for you today. Opioid prescribing in the ED is a topic of much attention these days. Most prescribers are writing fewer prescriptions with fewer numbers of pills, and there are increased efforts to avoid illegitimate prescriptions and diversion. But for patients with acute pain and legitimate requirements for opioid prescribing, we presume that how we counsel them about taking opioids and the risks also matters. Unfortunately, little is known about the influence of this information on patient behavior when given to patients in the ED. So today we're talking with Dr. Danielle McCarthy, Associate Professor and Vice Chair of Research in the Department of Emergency Medicine at Northwestern University's Feinberg School of Medicine. She and her team published a recent paper in AEM entitled, A Multifaceted Intervention to Improve Patient Knowledge and Safe Use of Opioids, Results of the ED-EMC-Squared Randomized Controlled Trial. The study objective was to evaluate the effect of a multifaceted tool, the Electronic Medication Complete Communication, or EMC-squared, opioid strategy on patients' safe use of opioids and knowledge about opioids, and I'm very excited to be talking with Dr. McCarthy today. The full text of this article is available open access for a limited time on our blog at brownemblog.com. Dr. McCarthy, it's so great to have you here. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So before we get into the meat of your work, I'd just like to discuss some background. So I'm sure that physicians listening are acquainted with the significance of the opioid crisis by now. And emergency physicians in particular often feel stuck, I think, between the actual appropriateness of opioid prescribing for pain in the ED and then the concerns over misuse, um, abuse, overuse. So we are, I think, becoming much more cognizant of how many prescriptions we write and how many pills are in those prescriptions. And we are supposed to be counseling patients on how to use the opioids properly. Uh, But I'm guessing that some of us do it better than others. So just some background on this. What are the current best practice recommendations regarding how to educate patients about new opioid prescriptions? So most of the regulation and recommendations um, on this are mostly focused on extended release and long-acting opioids. There are these things called REMS, or Risk Evaluation Mitigation Strategies, um, that are from the FDA that are focused on patient counseling. And those have instructions to counsel on uh, how to follow the prescription exactly, safe storage, safe disposal, but they're not as focused on the short-acting opioids that we often prescribe in the emergency department. Hmm. The um, Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality has some recommendations for all prescriptions to patients to make sure that they always know the name of the medicine that they're receiving, its indication, the side effects, the dosing, and also things to avoid. But beyond that, there really aren't very specific recommendations for opioids, uh, short-acting opioids. Okay. So we're going to talk about the tool that you designed soon, but what led to you or your team's interest in this topic and in then developing an electronic tool to assist in this process? And I'm just always curious about how your idea developed. 
So I uh, have been interested in sort of communication about medications for a number of years and specifically risk communication. And I'd done some preliminary work with a mentor on the risk of double dipping with acetaminophen over-the-counter products, um, taking two products that had acetaminophen in them. Mm. Um, And that led me to start thinking about opioids and not just the risk of acetaminophen, but thinking of them as really one of the highest risk medications that we prescribe. Mm -hmm. Um, That in turn turned into some um, work funded by the Emergency Medicine Foundation that was sort of a a low-tech version of this trial where we just handed out a single-page medication sheet um, and found that there was an increase in patient knowledge about opioids. So we decided we wanted to make this less onerous on the prescriber um, and at the same time give tangible supports to the patient so that they had something to refer back to when they're at home, actually in the moment of taking their medicines. Awesome. So your team developed this EDEMC squared opioid strategy tool, and then subsequently evaluated it in a three-arm prospective randomized controlled pragmatic trial. So to start with, uh, EMC squared Sounds like an homage to Einstein. I'm guessing that was deliberate, Um, but it stands for the Electronic Medication Complete Care Opioid Strategy. And um, that included EHR-based interventions for patients and prescribers and the pharmacists. So could you just describe the tool and what the various components of the strategy were at each level? No problem. So we um, we were on the Cerner operating system at that time. And what we did was that when a prescriber wrote a new opioid prescription in the emergency department, they first got a pop-up window requesting that they remember to counsel the patient about safe use. Um, The prescription also triggered two other provider-facing elements, and one was an inbox message that was sent to the primary care physician if they had a physician within our system documented. Um, And that message basically said your patient was in the ER on this day. They received a new prescription for Norco, this number of tabs. Please follow up with them and counsel them about safe use. Mm -hmm. And then it also um, automated a message to the pharmacist that was printed on the prescription requesting that the pharmacist counsel the patient about safe use. So that's sort of the three provider-directed components. Um, On the patient side, When the prescription was written, it automated a printout of a one-page health literacy-friendly medication instruction sheet, and then it automatically altered the wording of the prescription so that instead of saying, take one tab, Q, six hours, PRN, it would say, take one tab if you have pain, wait at least six hours before taking again, stop do not take more than four pills in 24 hours. Okay. So that language definitely, definitely matters. And then the third arm of the study uh, included texts to the patients afterwards. What kind of information was in those texts? So we sent text messages um, once a day, right around noon um, for seven days afterwards. And, um, They were basically a variety of safe use messages. Sort of in the early messages, we were focused on reminding them that there was acetaminophen or Tylenol in the medicine and not to to take it with other medicines that contained Tylenol. 
Um, we, we had messages about um, double dipping with sedating medicines and being aware of the maximum dose. And then as we moved sort of later into the week, we focused more on things like safe storage and disposal, um, presuming that many of the patients would have been um, finishing their medicines at, around that time. So let's talk about how you put this tool to use. What was your study specifically hoping to evaluate? So our, our primary outcome is um, safe dosing. And what this was was a composite measure that looked at um, three different aspects of safe dosing. And that was, number one, did they take the medicine at too short of an interval? If they were prescribed Q6 hours, did they take it at four? Number two, um, did they take too many pills in a single day? And number three, did they take too many pills in a single dose? If, you know, if they were prescribed two pills, did they take three? Mm-hmm. And we actually measured this through what we call it a demonstrated dosing uh, task that um, many of our patients are not maximally dosing their medicines at home. Um, and so they might only be taking one or two pills a day. Uh, and so it's hard to gauge what their true understanding is um, unless they are maximally dosing their medicine. So we did um, a, a little test dosing where they place beads into a, a grid of the uh, 24 hours of the day and then derive our metric from that. About your methods, more about your methods. Um, for those of us not as up on the research lingo, what exactly is a pragmatic trial and why did you choose that design? So pragmatic, uh, an- another word for pragmatic is practical. And we were really just interested in seeing how does the intervention work in a real world health system. And that appeals to me in many ways as an emergency physician, um, but also because if we design this thing and it works uh, well in a bubble, um, but then we try to export it and find that it doesn't work, um, then it doesn't work. And so we'd rather study it in the real world. And if the med sheet doesn't print, it doesn't print. And if the prescription wasn't filled by the pharmacy in the way that we wanted it to be filled, then that's the reality of how the intervention would work in the real world. So we'd rather study things in the real world uh, to know how to troubleshoot going forward and if it works in that setting. So can you briefly describe the methods for the rest of the rest of the trial for us? So it was a uh, three-arm randomized control trial. We did randomization at the physician level because we were making changes to the interface of the electronic health record. And then um, the patients received the components that I already described. Uh, we did follow-up at three time points um, to do the demonstrated dosing that I mentioned, but also to gather information about uh, patient knowledge and then uh, actual safe use um, patients returned medication diaries to us. Great. Okay. So let's talk about your results. Um, what did you find? And were you surprised by anything that you found? Um, so generally speaking, we we enrolled 652 patients. We had moderate loss to follow up. Um, and I would say uh, that I was uh, happily surprised about the results. Um, what we found was that uh, overall, um, 68% of the patients in the usual care arm had safe dosing, um, whereas 82% in the EMC squared intervention arm had safe dosing. And um, after adjustment for clustering, uh, that was statistically significant. 
um, it was not a significant difference between the usual care and the arm that also received text messaging. We also found that there was um, slightly higher knowledge scores in the intervention arm, but uh, you know of unclear uh, sort of real world significance. It was about a half a point higher on a 10 point scale. So are there any limitations of the study that you'd like to talk about? You know, I think we have uh, certainly many limitations, as does any study, you know, in terms of being um, single center, and uh, our population was generally well-educated. Um, I think our, our two biggest limit- limitations were that we didn't hit our target recruitment number. And um, with the take, wait, stop label, the patient-centered label, we uh, had incredibly low fill rates of that at the pharmacy. Um, in terms of using the wording that we wanted. Um, There was only about 18% of the prescriptions had the exact wording or something close to the wording. And we've written another paper to that end that was um, just recently published in Pharmacoepidemiology and Drug Safety. So what do you think was the most difficult part of this study? And um, and how how did you deal with that? I think one of the biggest challenges is doing opioid research in the context of the ongoing opioid epidemic. Mm -hmm. I wrote this grant in 2013 and had done two prior studies enrolling patients in our ER with similar inclusion criteria and had gotten decent recruitment rates. Um, But at that time, our ER was discharging about 16% of patients with an opioid. And that was very similar to other ERs at the time. Um, Jason Hoppe published a cross-sectional study of EDs with data from 2012 that was 17% of discharge patients. And by the time we were finishing enrollment, we were down to, I think, uh, 8% of discharge patients going home with opioids, and now we're down, you know, below 5%. And so not only were we dealing with sort of a, a shrinking population, but we also had higher refusals than normal because of the intensity of our follow-up with three follow-up visits. So that was one of the the biggest challenges, although I'm very happy for the decreasing number of opioid prescriptions out there in the world. Mm -hmm. So what do you think should be next steps in terms of research in this arena? Or is your team already working on something or what do you think needs to come next? So I think that one of the most powerful components of this whole intervention was the take, wait, stop label. And um, we are working on trying to figure out next steps with that. I think that because of our low fill rates at the pharmacy, um, we're working to establish some partnerships with pharmacy, commercial pharmacies, to um, try to ensure uh, a study where we could get high fidelity of the label delivery to do a randomized control trial and see, you know, does, is it the label that's really driving the big difference in safety here? All right. Well, thank you so much for your work in this arena. It's so very important and I am looking forward to seeing what comes next. Thanks so much. And I also want to, of course, thank all my, my team members, um, you know, for this grant, uh, because it really did take a team to do all of this work. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to this month's AEM Early Access. The full text of this article is available on our blog at brownemblog.com, open access for a limited time. Check out all of our podcasts on iTunes. Search for AEM Early Access, all one word. 
Today's music is by Scott Holmes. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and we'll see you next time.